No, go ahead. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. <laughs> Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to the latest Empire Podcast interview special. And this one is very special because it features words I honestly never expected to be saying on the Empire Podcast. And I've had occasion over the years to say words I never thought I'd say, but I really honestly never truly thought I would ever say the words. I'm delighted to be joined on the Emperor Podcast by Bruce Springsteen. Yes, Bruce Springsteen, the boss, one of the greatest rock stars of all time. And he's had something of a year of it, cinematically speaking. First of all, Jim Cummings' excellent Thunder Road was built around one of his most famous songs. Then Gurinder Chadha's wonderful Blinded by the Light was built around many of his most famous songs. And now we have Western Stars, which is built around several of his most recent songs. But still, they are absolute belters. The film, which is out today, October 25th, is more than a concert film, as Springsteen and his band perform his new album, Western Stars, Song by Song. It also contains a series of short films which link the songs and explain more about their background and origin. And it marks Springsteen's directorial debut teaming here with long-term collaborator Tom Simney. So when the two came into London recently, we jumped at the chance to have a natter with them about the film and then about Springsteen's connection to cinema. And when I say we, I mean myself and Ben Travis. Hello. Hello, Ben. So stick around after the interview if you want uh, to hear Ben and myself talk about Springsteen's cinematic legacy. First, though, you're going to hear the interview starting with Tom Simney, who has worked with Springsteen for almost two decades now on various film projects and is the co-director of Western Stars. And we talked to him mainly about how the film itself worked and came together. Enjoy. Delighted to be joined on the Emperor Podcast by the co-director of Western Stars, Mr. Tom Simley. How are you, sir? Good. It's great to be here. Thanks. Excellent. Thanks for thanks for joining us. Uh, yeah. Loved your film. Well, thank you. And uh, of course, this is just a, the latest uh, collaboration with Bruce Springsteen, going back oh how many years now? Twenty it, years. It's almost when twenty first, years. Yeah. yeah. When, yeah. Did, when did you first meet him? I first met him on a project called Live in New York, and uh, I was planning to edit for one week. And that one week turned into two weeks, into six months, into 12 months. <laughs> and that was my introduction to Bruce and the, you know, the beauty of his process in the cutting room, which is to find it. And that was a great concert. It was in HD, and that began our collaboration. At what point did you realize that that was going to happen, that one week was going to stretch into, into more? You know, I started watching Bruce look at the footage from Live in New York, and I recognized all those famous stories of him in the studio. And... I thought, wait a minute, this is the same thing. He's going to find the perfect way to present this film. Very much the way I heard stories of him finding the perfect sound. Mm -hmm. And that was week three. I realized (laughs) this was going to be a journey that um, might be like those studio stories. And that means he has intense focus and, and is pushing all the levels of, at that time it was HD and, presenting the E Street Band live. How do you cut this? How do you capture it? Yeah. It's the same thing that ended up in Western Stars, which is you you really push the project to a place of finding its its perfect way to tell a story. And Western Stars ended up first starting to be a concert film mm-hmm. and then doing interviews and having him do voiceover and script out a whole section and then scoring. It keeps building. With Bruce, you just go for that journey and that ride. And for me, it started 20 years ago that way. 
<laughs> Did you think you'd still be collaborating with him kind of, what was it, 18 years later at this point? When, when I first started working with Bruce, I wouldn't let myself dream too far that mm -hmm. it was just maybe possibly this one-off experience. I always kept the side of me that's a fan uh, really away and just focused on the work because I felt like around me was this great work ethic with John Landau and Bruce and focus. So I really took from their energy uh the, 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 I took from their energy the way to approach these projects, which is you dive deep into the dream of whatever it is. If it's a music video, a commercial, mm -hmm. all of them are of equal value and importance. And you look at all the details. How do you shoot this? How do you capture the music? What's the music like this time? What is the story in, in the narrative of the record? So, um, yeah, I've had some great examples of two people around me for the past 20 years and, and and I've learned a lot over the last few years you've done deep dives into some of Bruce's best known work uh, as well but Western Stars is very much forward looking it is very much an, an, an embracing of an explanation of the album was that always the plan you know it was very much a dialogue from the beginning to to explain this album to fans, not to look back similar to the other documentaries we had worked on, like Darkness on the Edge of Town or Born to Run. And that's just what's exciting about Bruce is that he is in the moment creating and it's not just a looking back. So from the very beginning, it was how do I explain this record? Mm. And, and Bruce did no press for the record. Mm. And um, how do I explain this record and get beyond the simple making of? approach so with bruce uh i never know what to expect so when i got a call that he was up and watching the movie and wrote a script that i had to jump down to the studio <laughs> i i just came ready for anything mm -hmm. and of course hearing him read that script into a mic i realized wait a minute we have a different film here we have something really special we have something in that for me as a fan felt very close to the book mm -hmm. and the broadway experience where i would see him revealing uh the themes of the music mm -hmm. his own personal journey in this way that totally felt like those other projects springsteen on broadway and, mm -hmm. and his book project so in, in some ways it became this bit of a tone poem how did you feel about the album when you first heard it because it feels like it is very much where bruce is now it's quite a departure in terms of the sound of the album it's quite different to what he's done before but it really fits neatly into these themes that he's exploring around legacy around kind of uh, aging it's quite elegiac how did you feel and how did you process the album when you first heard it and thinking about how you might represent that visually when i first heard the record it was 12 years ago and i thought my god <laughs> this thing is so cinematic i heard a couple of tracks right and they were demos and what came across was for me that this was in technicolor yeah I, I immediately related to it sonically because it felt like cinematic music it felt big by time i got to the final record and the sequencing of the record i realized that this was the most cinematic music i'd be working with and i could hear in the strings uh, a quality that evoked both a classic Hollywood style, but also imagery from photography paintings. The palette that comes across sonically is so strong that I would spend time just listening to details, the bass, the guitar, the strings. I would take it apart and come back to Bruce and, and talk about 
how these sounds were representing certain visuals or certain colors to me. Mm-hmm. And that's how we approached it. It was a huge moment to hear that final record because for me, it was a technicolor dream unfolding. So the, this is uh, not always the way that, that Bruce works in terms of his albums, but quite often he'll write a lot of a lot of tracks <laughs> for an album right. and then whittle it down over time. Uh, so I presume it's, it's like making a film. There's a lot of stuff in the cutting room floor. Your first assembly is five and a half hours yeah. long. Yeah. <laughs> With Western Stars, I mean, you, listening to the, the the first few tracks a couple of years ago, is there anything that, that didn't make the cut that, you, that, that as a filmmaker you're going, oh man, I wish I could have, I could have grabbed, grabbed hold of that? There's nothing that comes to mind when I think of the the early demos that Bruce shared with me, I felt like working with Bruce, it was interesting because in this role of co-directing, uh, film and music have a lot of similar traits where you're trying to edit down and bring the film to a place that it talks to you and, and it's just right. And I saw a lot of that happening in the studio process at different times where you're fighting to get a sound and also the sequencing of these albums. It's so important. Mm -hmm. They have a narrative. They have a narrative arc. It's no different than the editing room in film. So that's why I think Bruce has worked so great co-directing because it's not too far from the studio in many ways. You're chasing a certain feeling and sound and narrative. And as you mentioned there, Bruce is co-director in this movie. What does that involve? You know, Bruce as a co-director, that involves he's with you in the journey in a different way, which means when you're looking at the stage or the barn setting as the place to shoot this thing, he's there. You're talking about it. You're walking around the stage with him. You're talking about cameras. You're talking about the power of the space. Those small moments of looking at locations, the color correction, Mm. the mixing of the film, the decision of font, Mm. Bruce was there. (laughs) This was all part of our journey. It's not something like he stepped in at the end and said, well, yeah, I kind of made this with you. No, he's there doing the homework. When I was cutting for 10 hours, Bruce was next to me. When I was looking through old archival footage of Super 8 family home movies, home movies of Bruce's world, he was next to me in the Avid Suite. This was a film that was a collaboration 100%, and he co-directed it with me. And we stepped into a dream, and we tried to stay there. And we never discussed, oh, this is different. We're going to be directors together. Mm. We just did the job. And, and, and he's very humble about the whole experience, but he was the guy in the room next to me. <laughs> and as you say, part of, part of that uh, is... Bruce's penchant for improvisation. I mean, the, the film initially was going to be just, well, just a concert film. Uh, and then he decided to introduce this voiceover and these interstitial moments. And they get quite confessional as well, I would say, quite quite nakedly emotional. Also, there's there's video at the end, video footage of, of him and his honeymoon with, with Patty, which which I, I, th- I thought was absolutely tremendous and really revealing. As co-director, what, what's that like whenever you realize that Bruce is going in that direction and you're, you're rolling with those with those punches you know as co-director um when you receive a voiceover and a script that has bruce's writing in it uh you just step into your own life you step into your own space hearing those words and those ideas and that's also the life of a fan who's relating to bruce so you try to carry yourself in the movie and at the same time you try to keep it universal enough that people can 
also have the experience. So it's not too one-sided, just Bruce and home movies of his world or his point of view mm. or your own understanding of something as a director. You try to carry many pieces. And, and a lot of the imagery that I used with Bruce in those confessional voiceovers were hopefully images that a person could step into, recognize. Mm. Um, the beauty of a child riding a bike, community of a birthday party. There's something magical that happens with the combination of those very raw, simple images and Bruce's profound writing yeah. and voiceover, uh, these confessional moments. Uh, you you, you want to bring yourself to it, but you don't want to make it about yourself or you don't want to make it solely about Bruce. That's mm-hmm. the balance to find in the cutting room. And it's not always easy. You've worked with him for so many years since this um, kind of concert footage in 2001. And obviously, as you've mentioned, in recent years, he's um, written his autobiography and done the Broadway show. And with this, bringing this voiceover to it, how have you seen him evolve as a, as a storyteller? Because he's always been known in music as one of the greatest storytellers. But how have you seen that change over the years that you've worked with him? Looking at Bruce's storytelling from the point of view of a film director, it, it, it's amazing to see uh, the power he has with the editing process, with the with how a very simple line could convey detail of a person's point of view, their location, and their emotional state. If you look at Bruce's lyrics on Western Stars, it's a it's a great study because you you get across all these emotions, all these ideas, all these feelings, in a very condensed, beautiful way. Uh, he. He has, for me, been such an influence on the power of, of, of cutting and editing. Mm-hmm. How he gets to the point in this beautiful, simplified way that doesn't push it too far and doesn't take you out of the story. I, I look at Bruce as a filmmaker and I'm constantly blown away by his storytelling and, and the characters that he brings mm-hmm. and, and the conflicts that they have. All this has been... Uh, a part of my filmmaking life and, and process, but uh, none of it feels like a repetition. All of it is new. Western Stars was a whole new set of characters, a whole new set of ideas. And the great thing about Bruce is that you go, hey, that's me. <laughs> um, that's why so many people can step into it. And I hope as a filmmaker, I just open that door even further to say, be part of this process and, and, and relate to it and bring your own life to it and also look at Bruce's life. Let's talk about the barn. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because, so, uh, you know, it's, it's often a cliche to say uh, a location is a character in his own right in a film, but yeah, <laughs> I it's, think it's, it's true here. It, the barn is an amazing detail character uh, find that we just stumbled upon. The barn has this, you know, spiritual quality that when we shot it, it immediately made sense. You did a few tests with it and you look at the beauty of that wood and the way Bruce has that barn bar set up and the drinks and the details that are there, the photographs and the life that he has there and just the touches that he added in the barn. Um, he has an old jukebox on the stage. The stage itself is like a bar setting. This barn was the perfect place to tell the story of Western stars because it was authentic. It was of Bruce's world. And it could carry 30-piece orchestra <laughs> and nine cameras. So for me, I loved it. How many people in the audience? The audience contained 
Bruce's friends and uh-huh. the 15 people that were there were the luckiest people because they saw <laughs> not only the, the filming, but they saw the Western Stars album performed from start to finish. He was never going to take this on tour. So the 15 people who were there were the luckiest <laughs> concert goers. Um, how did he choose his 15 people? Was yeah, it, was I don't it know how he chose the 15 people, but I have a lot of enemies out there who, still, <laughs> who are now just still ringing me and wanting to know why. And it, so it took roughly two days of filming. Well, I think a third day was mentioned. Was that just a setup day? And it was a setup day. And there then... was two days of filming in the barn itself. Okay. And uh, if you think about that, that's a miracle because this is new music that Bruce has never performed live. Yeah. That should give you an idea of how much preparation happened with Rob Mathis and other people on Bruce's team, George Travis, Barbara Carr, mm-hmm. everyone getting in to make this right. He performs at two days, multiple takes, but at the same time, um, we realized we needed more for these voiceovers. So mm-hmm. Bruce gathered up the crew, we talk about it, and then we're in the desert. And we're filming. So we filmed in the desert for two days. So with Bruce, you just get into this space of getting ready and getting on a journey, stepping into the dream of the music, the dream of the film, and you go. And in some ways, it's a big blur for me because everything else kind of falls wayside. And you're in the editing room. It's 930 in the morning. And Bruce is there and he's throwing out new ideas you're talking about getting a camera going into the desert he's got a new score and he's just changed the voiceover that's the start of the day it's a quick sip of coffee and and on you go a lot of drone work as well oh yeah the beauty of the drone is that for me uh, we had an amazing cinematographer who was into shooting uh, aerial footage before drones and got his pilot license. So he had this great eye of covering the landscape in a really cinematic way. And it wasn't just getting it up in the air. He was finding the light. Uh-huh. And with Bruce and myself, it's really important. What's what's the light saying? The light itself is a character in the desert. Mm-hmm. The landscape can evoke uh, you know, so many feelings that work alongside a lot of his big ideas. But it's not a simple shot of just getting it up in the sky and shooting. It's finding the right isolation. It's, they have to look like little paintings. They have to be on. And we had a great cinematographer, Joe DeSalvo, who who um, also shot Spring Scene on Broadway mm-hmm. and shot the barn footage. So he was in sync with what I would say the Bruce energy and, and approach to filmmaking. With that drone footage as well, to make it even more complicated, you chuck a couple of horses into the mix. <laughs> How tricky was it to get the horses to go where you want them you to know, go and to interact with each other and film that and get the right shots? The idea of drones, children, horses, this is all a scary thing for any filmmaker. <laughs> and you just hope to get lucky in the space of, okay, Bruce, we're getting a drone. Hopefully it's not going to scare the horse away. You're going to walk forward and we hope to capture something. And I remember shooting in the desert and composing a shot. And uh, the thing that Bruce has taught me is to be ready for the accident. And the the drone pushed back, and and literally it was a thing that the drone revealed a better shot than the one I planned. (laughs) That's the magic of being in the moment. That's the magic of, of just not 
uh, believing that you're in control of everything. And what about uh, Bruce himself? Bruce, the uh, the movie star here. I find it hard to believe that uh, he has been tapped up by Hollywood over the years. I mean, he's a, he's a good-looking guy. He's got, he's got screen presence. Uh, what's he like uh, in front of the camera? Bruce in front of the camera is uh, really amazing to work around because... Uh, if he's performing, he does not care about the camera. He cares about the 15 people in the barn that he's performing to in Western Stars. Yeah, he very he, rarely looks at the camera. He very he, rarely acknowledges it. I yeah. With Western Stars, he he forgot about us quickly. <laughs> and our job was to get out of the way so that he could give the best show for those 15 people. The power of Bruce in close-up in the camera is that the camera reads his eyes. And John Landau was early on was a real influence for me to say, if you're looking for drama within a shot, just stay on Bruce. His eyes will reveal the drama of the narrative, of the mm. song, of the themes. Mm. And that's advice that he gave me 19, 20, you know, 19 years ago. And, and it comes to every project, which is stay on Bruce. Mm. You've done a few, quite a few films with him looking back at his classic albums and the making of process, things like um, The Promise, looking at Darkness on the Edge of Town and, and The River. And uh, I guess we're five years away from the 40th anniversary of Born in the USA. Do you have any plans to do anything around that album and, and the process behind it? You know, I, the most common question I get is the idea of doing something with Born in the USA. And, and the fan of me says, let's just get a banner and hang it up in front of Bruce's house. <laughs> I love the idea. But um, I, I, there's no talk of it. And um, with me, I, I always, you know, if I see Bruce is calling, I, I hope for, you know, that dream project. And the dream project would be to do something on Born in the USA. Mm -hmm. It's such a powerful album and story. Um, but there's no talk of it right now. And, and I've learned to, um, you know, just really stay in each project, not really think too hard about the history. Mm -hmm. um, be grateful for it, enjoy it, but really stay in the moment and hear what Bruce has to say when he calls you up and says, we're going to shoot in a barn. <laughs> happens all the time yeah. <laughs> happens all the time to me and just one last question Tom before we let you go obviously uh, we're about to meet Bruce for the first time we're both big fans and there's always that moment uh, where you, you you have that moment of oh my god it's Bruce Springsteen oh my god it's Bruce Springsteen you have to get past that did you have that similar situation or 20 years on are you still oh my god it's Bruce Springsteen you know I um, still have these moments when I'm listening to the music that I step out and go, the 19 years don't matter at all. I, it, oh my God, that's Bruce Springsteen music. Oh my God, that sounds so cool. <laughs> I never want to lose the element of, uh, of being a fan because yeah. I have to bring that to the work. And I just don't burden him with it because we have a job to do. But when I hear the music of Western stars and I sit in an audience and watch the film, there's a part of me that's just enjoying that music, that man and his stories. And the part of me that is enjoying that doesn't know him. He's just a guy <laughs> from New Jersey enjoying it. So I hope never to lose that. Fantastic. Tom Sidney, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so Thank much. You, Thank you, guys. Thank you. Cheers. Great. Thank, Thank you. you. Okay, so that was Tom Sidney, co-director of Western Stars. And now it's time to hear from the other co-director of Western Stars, one Mr. Bruce Springsteen. And this is an interview not only about the film and about the album, but also about Bruce as a cinema fan, the movies he grew up with, the movies he loves. And of course, we had to ask about 2019 being the year of Bruce Springsteen at the pictures as well. Ben and I really enjoyed doing this. We hope you do too. Here's Bruce Springsteen. Enjoy. 
We are truly delighted to be joined on the Empire Podcast by the legendary Mr. Bruce Springsteen, co-director and star of Western Stars. Uh, Bruce, this is your directorial debut uh, on, a, on a motion picture. <laughs> yeah, it's at the graciousness of Tom Zimney, my, my directing partner, because I didn't get anywhere near a camera, really. But we collaborated on the whole film, so uh, he gave me half directing credit. <laughs> <laughs> he said you were very, very much involved in the creative decisions, and the fact that you, the two of you work so closely, so hand-in-hand. Hand. He's in the editing suite, you're over there doing yeah. the score. That allows you to really, really work together. Have a yeah, it was great. I have a studio on my farm, and there's a where we were where we record and then there's another little room right next door where he set up a he set up an editing studio and uh we just run back and forth between the two and uh doing the voiceovers and and doing the scoring and tom would have the images in in the editing studio and and it, it was very collaborative and a lot of fun and we edited most of the the voiceover pieces in about a week and a half or two weeks and so it went re- nice nice and quickly also how did the how did the movie evolve for you? Because initially it started as a pure performance piece. Just started out like I knew I wasn't going to tour, uh-huh. and so I said, "Yeah, I have this record I really like, but how am I going to how am I going to give it some life?" And and I said, "Well, maybe I'll perform it once with the, with the orchestra, mm-hmm. and fans will get a chance to see me play it like that." You know, so it started out as just a performance, a concert uh, film. And but when, when I got done with the concert film, we, we like I have been saying, we started to do the obvious things, which is you interview people who played uh, on the dates, and they say what a great guy you are, you know, like I was thinking, <laughs> what an honor it is to work with you, and it's the best thing they ever did, and and so we so we got a lot of that going, and uh, but because it was new music, I was I said, gee, this feels like it needs something else you know it needs something that's gonna take people deeper into the inner life of the songs uh-huh. right before they hear them yes. so when they hear them they'll, they'll they'll go into something that's new with some insight as to where it came from and what it was about so that's what started one night i was just sitting in my with the tv on in my living room and i just started to write a script for each each song as it came up and then we started to record them and and that created these these whole other little mini films that come before each song yeah. and uh it was the beginning of the creation of those those films and then we shot footage out in Joshua Tree National Park out mm-hmm. in the southwest and uh it just very organically turned into something else it turned into a movie did you learn anything new about those songs obviously you have when you write them, you have your ideas about what they're about. But when you're sitting down to write well, this voiceover, did anything new spring I, I, out of you? I generally knew that the tension in the record came from people struggling between the two poles of individual freedom and 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 communal life. That's that's a struggle. That's the human condition. Everybody has has to work and find their find where their line is in between those two things. So I knew that that was generally what the record was about. It was, and also it was all these small character studies of, of these different types of people in different situations and uh, meditation on love between men, you know, between you and your partner. And, Mm. and uh, so, uh, I had a general idea, but but when I started to write the script, I had to get deeper into what the songs were actually saying. 
and uh, so it it did open my own uh, vision into into what the record was about. And if you go to see the film, it'll it broadens and deepens. I think the meaning of of, of the record, and and it gives you a a whole other insight into uh, into the internal mechanism, emotional mechanism, what's making the record work. You mentioned so many of your songs are kind of character driven or or situation driven. When you're writing music, do you do you see the songs in your head? Do you have those visuals that go along? Is that part of your songwriting process to, well, to see I, those visuals? I try to write cinematically, particularly when I'm writing. In, in the character of a stuntman or an old cowboy or or as I did on Nebraska, Ghost of Tom Joe, Devils and Dust. Those were albums filled with character studies where I, I take on a persona. I mind my own emotional life to, to fill that persona out uh, with experience and... Uh, uh, and and that's how I write those songs, you know. Mm-hmm. So I, I do usually have a a pretty a, a pretty good visual sense of what I'm wanting my listener to uh, see and feel as the song goes by. And that takes getting all the little details right: what they're wearing, who they are, what they're thinking, where they live. Uh, you know, it it, it 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 attention to detail is 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 what gives the the songs their. Uh, a cinematic quality. Mm. I mean, I found the film very moving, I think, because it's so much about about human connection, about the need for human yeah. connection and the healing that that can bring. And I think music is obviously something that gives us all a connection to each other. Sure. Do you see film in a similar way as a, as a storytelling tool that can bring people together and give us those human connections? Uh, of course, of course. You know, it. Uh, I'm a huge movie fan, obviously, since I was a kid, but really... In my late 20s, uh, John Landau, after he was a music critic, was became a film critic. Mm. So when we got together and I was looking for templates to build some of my work on, he began to suggest certain films. I watched The Grapes of Wrath or watched The Searchers. <laughs> and, and so I started to watch films really in much, in much greater depth. Mm-hmm. And... I went through all the 40s and 50s film noir and a, a, a whole all the great westerns from the 60s and 50s and, and mm-hmm. 40s, all the 30s, all the John Ford westerns and Howard Hawks and and uh, so I, I I gave myself a bit of a a schooling in in, in, in film history, you know, and uh, uh, you know, I mean, they're they're. They're waking dreams, you know, mm. similar to what songs are, really. Yeah. They end up getting their fingerprints on our imagination, and they they play quite a, a bit of a role in the way, I believe, in the way that we create our own identities. And I think most people, when they're young, what are you doing at 14 and 15? You're trying to figure out who you are. Mm-hmm. How do you do that? Well, you go to, very often, you go to pop culture, mm-hmm. for better or for worse, you know. And... Uh, so a lot of uh, basic emotional issues and issues of identity, we sort through our use of pop culture. It's one of pop culture's great, great uses, uh, in, in my opinion. Mm. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, going back to you know Tom Chode, obviously Grapes of Wrath. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, even uh, there's a, a, a song on that album that paraphrases Forrest Gump at one point. You know, it's <laughs> stupid is, it's stupid does, and yeah. all the rest of that shit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so is this is this something where you're sitting down? You think it's cinematically? Do you have album by album? Do you do you sit down and have different uh, movies in your head? For example, on this on this uh, album slash film, Western Stars itself is about an old faded. Uh, Western star. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't have a specific film. I really, it's it's that library of of influences that you carry at a certain point in your life of virtually everything you've seen and everything you've heard. So I'm drawing on on all of that, and I'm uh, thinking of a, a vista or a scenario. And in this case, you know, we went towards the colors of the West and mm-hmm. obviously the desert. We went to Joshua Tree National Park and we filmed there. And uh, it was a, we did too, you know, we filmed East, we filmed in the barn with the orchestra and then West, we filmed most of the voiceover over sections, you know. So uh, I don't have a specific film, but but it's, mm-hmm. it's, I call on sort of everything that I've, that I've digested over the years. One of the interesting things, uh, Bruce, about your career is that you've, you've only appeared in a handful of films and TV. You were in High Fidelity. There was an episode of Lilyhammer <laughs> as well. Yeah, I'm usually cl- clowning in most. You know? <laughs> uh, has Hollywood ever tapped you up? I mean, you're a, you're a good-looking uh, when guy, I was Bruce. Young, when I was young, I got some offers, you know, around 25. There were a couple of things that came up. and But I, I was very hesitant because, A, I had no experience acting. Hmm. So I go... Well, I don't know why I should be doing this because one, I know nothing about it. Two, I've studied nothing about it. <laughs> My music by that time, I had studied in depth and I had a tremendous amount of confidence as a musician. And I said, well, I'll leave the acting to the actors, you know, <laughs> and I'll, I'll stick with the music. So that's pretty much how it went. Okay. Because you talk in the movie about how your, uh, your craft has been perfected over what, 40 years. Yeah, now, sure. Over 40 years 50 now. years yeah. now. Uh, acting, I don't know. You could, you could, you know, there's a lot to be said for going into acting and just <laughs> doing it off the cuff. I think if something had come up that was really compelling for me and that I thought was within my wheelhouse, I, I, I might have taken a shot at it. Particularly as I got older, but it, it never really happened. And and I wasn't hungry to. It wasn't something yeah. I was hungry, hungry to do. You mentioned before that you're a, a huge film fan. Um, you, as a master storyteller in, in music especially, who are the storytellers in film that that you most admire and that you gravitate towards? Well, I guess I'd have to start with John Ford because mm. he created a, an entire body of work where all the films related to one another. And so that was a big template for me when mm. I was creating my own music. I said, well, I kind of want to tell this long and big story of what it would be like living in the U.S. for 50 years or or 40, you know, throughout a life, a Mm -hmm. life. Mm -hmm. And I saw that he, I felt like he he followed that line through throughout his career. So he was very, very uh, influential as a you know, just a great director, and I still love those films very, very, very deeply. So they they were very influential on me. Uh, and then it was just a, a a variety of things and and a variety of of directors. Uh, uh, obviously, I'm a real soft spot for the 
new Hollywood directors from the mm-hmm. 70s, Marty Scorsese and uh, Francis Ford Coppola and uh, Steven Spielberg. And uh, uh, there was something about the films that came up in, in the early 70s and, mm-hmm. and uh, to the mid-70s that, that had an intensity Along with an act accessibility, people forget that Taxi Driver was a the big film of its day. Yeah. You know, The Godfather was was the Avengers Endgame of its day. <laughs> you know, people people lined up around the block, mm-hmm. and the and the theaters were filled with thousands of people enjoying these quite radical films. Yeah. Uh, uh, at a time, you know, so it was a, a very different movie-going experience, and it was funny. We played; we were just in Toronto, and even here, we were here. We played, there was the theater with eight hundred people in Toronto. There was two thousand people mm-hmm. seeing a film. Yeah. That that when does that happen? Yeah, you know, are, are there even <clears throat> are there even theaters? I don't know if there's theaters in the United States now that hold two thousand <laughs> people really, That's or in point. the UK. I'm not yeah. sure. You know, so. So that whole system has been pretty decimated and, and chopped up, you know. But it was it was a great. I mean, when when you had a theater of a couple of thousand people watching The Exorcist, you know? <laughs> <laughs> it was insane, you know. <laughs> you know? Absolutely, the was, impact of movies. I mean, I know someone who had their house exorcised uh, by a priest. I would have done it myself if I could have afforded it after I saw the film. <laughs> it scared me so badly, but but those great great pictures, uh, they and, and the actors in them had a. A, a deep influence on on, on me uh, throughout my whole life. You know, I, the, to me, the, the, there's a, a golden age of '70s films, even that go to B pictures like uh, this picture, Rolling Thunder, or oh, Tommy yeah, Lee yeah. Jones. Rolling Thunder yeah, was, yeah. was William Devane yeah. and Tommy Lee Jones in this great, great B picture. Tommy Lee Jones started out in a picture called. I think Jackson County line or something where it was a, a, a road picture. And, and these were, just, or, uh, uh, Warren Oates in, uh, uh, and, and James Taylor and Dennis Wilson in Tulane Blacktop, oh Monty God. Hellman pictures, yep. riding the whirlwind and the shooting with Jack Nicholson. Uh, these were, these were for me, these, these were just, uh, I love the films of that day, their intensity. The existential intensity of them is something that I I carry through into, into my music and uh, just uh, uh, tremendous uh, tremendous films and, and actors that came out of them and, and guys that picked up that tradition of acting like a Sean Sean Penn and uh, Daniel Day Lewis and uh, uh, the guys that really approach their job with with and an enormous amount of commitment. Yeah. You know, that, that's, that's something that I say, yeah, I, I want to do that. And of course you've, you've, you've written songs specifically for movies and you, you, you won an Oscar of course for streets of Philadelphia. Does your process change when you're writing something specifically for a movie, when you're working with a director? Yeah. I mean, you know, occasionally somebody will ask me for something and, and I'll do it once in a while. If I, if I think I, have something to offer. Jonathan Demi said, yeah, I've got this picture, Streets of Philadelphia, and he told me a little bit what it was about, and he said, I need a rock song to open the picture. 
So I said, okay. So he, he sent me the little opening clip, mm. and I tried to write what he wanted, but I I had nothing, you know. So I went in my little studio, and I came up with that little little beat that opened Streets of Philadelphia, and I played a little thing on the synthesizer. And I wrote a few verses, and I sent it back to him. I said, "This isn't what you asked me for, but this is what I, this is what I have." And he said, "No, no, it's great. I love it. I love it." Yeah. And uh, so he ended up using, which he uses the demo that I sent him in the picture. <laughs> he never used the, the mix. He never used the finished song. I sent him the demo. He got used to hearing it, and so he put that in the film. You know, and uh, Mickey Rourke was a friend of mine, and he was making the wrestler, and yeah. and said, "Gee, do you have a song or something?" So I I came up with a song for him, and. Uh, I'll do it every once in a while. And you put out audio fairly recently, actually, of the um, finished studio version of I'll Stand By You, which was originally written for a Harry Potter yeah, film. Was, was what was the story there? Picture. Just, uh, uh, I, I didn't know. I mean, they didn't ask me. I just, I just wrote it and I said, gee, this would be great in a kid's film because yeah. I wrote it about my son. And uh, uh, it's kind of a parent speaking. It could be a, you're speaking to your partner or a parent speaking to a child and and it felt like yeah this is something that if it came up at the end of the film uh, the right film it would really be nice you know uh, so we ended up using it and they ended up using it in Blinded by the Light which was mm -hmm. nice but I originally did write it for uh, w with something like that in mind you know mm -hmm. I think when uh, historians look back on 2019, they'll see this as the uh, the cinematic year of Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> so you have Western stars, obviously. You have Blinded by the Light uh, yeah. as well. And Jimmy Cummings' uh, fantastic Thunder Road as well, which was, uh, I don't know if you, which is based, oh, that's right. based on a short film. Yeah, yeah. He's a great guy. I, I yeah. met him briefly and, and I, uh, I, I loved that picture. I thought it was a really good picture. And uh, he's an interesting uh, actor and filmmaker, so yeah, he really is, and uh, it's just an interesting convergence of events. That suddenly we've got <laughs> wall to wall Bruce Springsteen yeah, movies. Yeah, uh, what, what do you think of uh, Blinded by the Light uh, as well? It was a lot of fun, a yeah. lot of fun, and it was very sweet. And I, I uh, uh, it was it was a pleasure uh, that they got it made and everything. It was it was. It, it was a great, great fans picture, you yeah. know, and so it was enjoy very enjoyable. I um, spoke to Gorinda Charter a couple of weeks ago, actually, on this on this podcast about ah, that film. She's great. And she was amazing. Yeah, yeah she terrific. was great. How did you feel when she spoke to you about how she wanted to use your music and the context that it was going to be placed in in this in that film? I, I basically I just gave her free reign, you know. Uh, uh, I, I knew the book and and and. Uh, uh, and and I, so when they came to me, I, I just said, use whatever you like and, mm. and use it however you like. And they showed me the picture at some point and just I thought, yeah, it's, 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 it's very sweet. And uh, so she just did a great job. Is Western Stars the beginning of, of a directorial career for you, Bruce? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's probably the beginning and the end. You know? Well, Charles Lawton made only one movie, Night of the Hunter. So Yeah, and it was a good one, yeah, too. Yeah, it was a good one. Just <laughs> do one and then just drop the microphone and leave. That's, That's the idea. <laughs> <laughs> so what is next for you? More uh, more music again? Uh, 
I have some songs I've written for the band, and so mm-hmm. we're going to get together and record those. Some of those, we're going to begin to record some of those pretty soon. And the next thing I want to do is I want to go back to my day job and play some shows <laughs> and see my fans live again and get with the guys and play with the E Street Band again. Yeah. So I think that's what's next on the agenda. One of the interesting things uh, about Western Stars was watching just the intimacy of that setting, your incredible barn. Yeah. Which, by the way, if, if you wanted to put that up on Airbnb, you would make a fortune. <laughs> it's a pretty but, great spot. <laughs> it's, it's, that's not bad. Uh, and just watching the uh, the way you, you perform the songs in front of a hand-picked audience of your friends, I believe. Yeah, I mean, uh, let me see. I picked a few of them that from the family, uh-huh. and then people... Other people just happen to appear there somehow. I think everybody brought somebody. So, <laughs> And uh, watching the film, I thought this would be a fantastic uh, treatment for some of the other albums you've made in, in the past. Do you would you consider doing that again for 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 albums like The River or <laughs> Ghost of Tom Joad or those are sort of behind me now, you know. And, and at the time that Tom Joad came out, I, I, I was offered by I think it was HBO. They wanted to make short films from every song with a different director. And looking back on that, I. I probably should have said yes just to see what would have happened. It would have been like little half-hour films on each song. would have been an interesting project. But at the time, I was very protective over the music and the fans' experience with it. And uh, so I've had a few opportunities to to turn... uh, uh, Sean Penn did turn Highway Patrolman into Mm. the film Indian Runner. Uh, and so I've had a few opportunities where songs have been turned into into films. And... uh, uh, I should probably be a little more open to it, but uh, mm. it's been fascinating over the years watching that relationship Hollywood yeah. has with your songs. I mean, you know, the Rising, which was such a, a an album fuse in the moment, yeah. and Spike Lee uses the fuse, in fact, at the end of Twenty uh, Fifth Hour. It's just, right. it's just wonderful watching uh, the, the way that you're so open to your music being used in, in movies. Yeah, yeah, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm friends with Ed Norton. Twenty Fifth Hour was, I thought that was a terrific film, and and. Uh, uh, you know, I, I like I like to see the music used in in, in a good way. Bruce Springsteen has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you <laughs> Thanks, so much, Steve. My pleasure. Thank you. So that was Tom Simney and Bruce Springsteen talking about Western stars, of course. And uh, Ben, there are words I never thought I'd say in this podcast, and this may be a really self-indulgent bit, but I also never thought I'd hear Bruce Springsteen say something like, "The Godfather was the Avengers' endgame of its day." <laughs> I can't believe I, I was like, "Of course he does," but I was like. Bruce Springsteen knows about Avengers Endgame, which it's a culturally huge phenomenon of this year. But um, he seemed it was really great hearing how sort of dialed in he is to to films. Mm. Like his his music is so cinematic, but um, you would forgive him for not being not having his finger on the pulse of uh, of recent films or even kind of while he was busy touring all of those years and and doing everything through the 70s, 80s, 90s, and now. Um, So it was great just getting to chat to him about about movies. Yeah. What a treat. Also because I think you probably much less than myself, but you would be, I would be massively out of my depth. I love Bruce Springsteen and I love his music, but if I tried to talk to him about his songs, you saw what happened there. There was a point where I I was trying to reference back to... um, 
uh, one of my favourite uh, of his albums, The Ghost of uh, Tom Joad, and I forgot the name of the song because you're just you're rabbit in the headlights, and it's uh, my best was never good enough. Is this name of the song? In case you were yelling at the uh, podcast device, <laughs> going, "You idiot! You clearly don't know anything," and uh, but it just goes out of your head. Yeah. So how can we talk to him about music? So it was, mm. but it was great to see that he's actually engaged with cinema. He's engaged with movies, and. You know, one of the great disappointments that came out of that interview, it was no great disappointment on a personal level, it was it was fantastic, but is that he had had overtures, he, he he neglected and declined to say exactly what movies he'd been approached uh, about over the years. But the thing about Bruce Springsteen is he's a, he's a very good looking chap and he's got a lot of charisma and I could see him being a good actor if he had decided to turn his hand to it, like Sting or Bowie or someone yeah. like that. I mean, even in in Western Stars, the um, the sort of short film segments that that are interspersed between the songs, he has a lot of screen presence, and and sometimes those shots are just him walking around with horses or hanging around in his barn. But he he can hold the screen. I think there's something about him about his sort of um, talents as a storyteller in general that translates beyond music into all these other forms. I mean, we've seen in his autobiography and in his um in his Broadway show yeah. that he can he can take what he brings to music, what he brings to the stage and translate it elsewhere. So uh, when you were talking about it, I could completely understand the idea of, of of course you could have Bruce Springsteen the movie star but I guess yeah I guess it but, just never held the same appeal for him maybe. yeah it must have done because it, it, he must have people must have gotten in touch with him over the years mm. like you know we've got this good looking drifter in, in this movie <laughs> I, you know it's very hard to imagine that someone like a David Lynch would not have uh, maybe looked at him and thought mm. I could do something not just with the fact that maybe not just with the idea that he would be a good actor but also I can do something with the iconography of Bruce Springsteen mm. I can subvert that in some way or or use that in some way that would be really interesting cinematically but anyway that's all speculation that's all conjecture we're we're big Bruce Springsteen fans you're a bigger Bruce Springsteen fan than I am mm. you were absolutely chock- you were you were cock a hoop to be talking to him I can't I still can't believe it happened <laughs> especially <laughs> uh, he he's been one of my sort of all-time heroes literally like poster on the bedroom wall um seen him live a bunch of times which if you ever get the chance to do so he said at the end of that interview that they're doing an east street band tour next year and he offered us uh, free tickets didn't he uh, you, you heard that <laughs> oh god i hope so <laughs> i'm gonna listen back just in case um, it was subtext but it was there yeah yeah <laughs> it was in his eyes more than anything yeah, it was a twinkle <laughs> Um, but yeah, he he is he genuinely is sort of my hero, and it's one of those things that I've heard people literally say before. There's the whole oh yeah, never meet your heroes thing. They can only disappoint you. And I've heard people say before in interviews and whatever, never meet your hero unless your hero is Bruce Springsteen because he is <laughs> as amazing as you think he's going to be. Um, so I had no hesitation when we found out he was coming in. <laughs> that's awesome uh, but he has had the year hasn't he I mean uh, yeah. Thunder Road tangentially mm-hmm. but uh, I think that's a fantastic film if you haven't seen it Jim Cummings film and also if you haven't listened back Jim Cummings was on the Empire podcast a few months ago when the film came out and talked about that and talked about how he had managed to get Bruce Springsteen's permission via his wife Patty that he'd got in touch with them via her because uh, he initially had made this as a short film and if you don't know what Thunder Road is it's about a man who it begins with uh, a funeral, begins with a eulogy uh, at, at which Jim Cummings' cop basically is trying to play Thunder Road because it meant something to his mum. It's his mum's funeral. So he's trying to play Thunder Road and it doesn't quite work out. So then he, in the film, he ends up basically quoting it and sort of 
speaking and having a bit of a meltdown, basically a bit of a nervous breakdown. And uh, but in the short film that that did well at Sundance, he the song is used. The song is is there in the in the, in the movie. And so Cummings told me that uh, he had written this into the, uh, the, the the film. Can't work without Thunder Road. And then they realised, oh shit, we need to actually pay for this song to be used. And so they wrote off, they got in touch with, with Patty and she said, okay, $1,000. Well, you know, you send us a check for $1,000. You can use it. And there it is, it's in the film. And I meant to ask, is one of the questions I never got around to asking Bruce Springsteen, but I, I figured it might take a little bit of explanation, maybe too much given the time we had. But uh, Jim Cummings maintains to this day that the check was cashed. And I think <laughs> that's really interesting, isn't it? Because, you know, you're... Bruce Springsteen, you don't need a thousand dollars. What what did he do with that thousand dollars? <laughs> yeah, it went on like the horse fund or something. <laughs> I don't know. But yeah, it's it's been a hell of a year, and Blinded by the Light is mm. fantastic as well. And Blinded by the Light really gets into, I think, the transformational power of a, of a great Springsteen track and how it can really, you know, it, it can uplift you. It can it can uh, it, it can galvanize you in, in really interesting ways. Yeah, and how it speaks to underdogs, I think, especially mm-hmm. the, that run of classic albums and, and the sort of Bruce Springsteen persona that you think of. When you think of Born to Run and Darkness on the Edge of Town um, and, and The River, those sort of stories, the stories of those songs are of people who aren't in a great place but are going to get out of that and they think that what they're going to get to is going to be better than where they are. And, but they don't know it yet, but all they have is sort of the hope and the fire that getting out of their current situation mm-hmm. has surely got to be better than just staying where they are. Um, so that kind of underdog feel, I think, Blinded by the Light really tapped into that in a nice way. And also, I, I, I had some slightly mixed feelings on how it literally brought the words onto the screen. It sort of presents the lyrics to the songs on the screen. But I did like that in general, it really paid attention yeah. to to what those, to what words, those words were. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting because Bruce is a bit of a mumbler as well. So it was good that finally... <laughs> You're like, oh, that's what he's saying. <laughs> oh, it's Atlantic City. That's, that's what he's saying. Born to run. <laughs> oh, oh no. okay. okay. Yeah. And then, of course, we have Western Stars as well. Mm-hmm. And... You know, this could have been a straight-up concert movie, and it isn't. And it's, it's something more than that. And it has a bit more, a uh, bit more meaning to it, a bit more elegance. Uh, and uh, but it's also a cracking album, I yeah, think. And it's, it's fantastic it's to see those songs being performed, isn't it? And the the um, I don't know. It, it partly helped at the screening that you and I saw the film in. Um, the sound in there was incredible to the point that Bruce Springsteen recognized when he came on stage. He was like, "Oh, it sounds amazing in here," and it's like, "Yeah, it does." Yeah. Um, also helped that he was there as well, and we were very aware that he was there. <laughs> um, but the 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 arrangements um, in the concert footage, I think, are incredible. He has this sort of thirty piece orchestra with him. The songs are very orchestral, but I think what was really nice is hearing the live versions. You get all the amazing string sections and stuff, but there were just extra hints in the arrangements and stuff of like, oh, that is a classic. Bruce Springsteen piano melody. Yeah, I don't know. I, f- I feel like his recent albums all. I know it's a cliche to say, "Oh, it sounds better live," but um, they're always produced in a very certain way to give you a certain yeah. sound. And then yeah. when you see them performed live, that whatever the album is in kind of it, its recorded form morphs closer to being a classic. No, Bruce yeah, Springsteen totally sound. Yeah, um, so because yeah. the, the, they're bringing out the 
uh, concert recording. The concert version with uh, Rhinestone Cowboy. Yeah, and mm. I, I imagine, to be honest, going forward, that that is the version of the album that I will listen to, the, the version from the film with the live arrangements and stuff. That's it interesting. Because um, I think the songs are great, but they, it, I don't know, just had a bit of extra life. And him performing them with Patty yeah. makes a big difference because in the film, it really draws out the themes about... Um, their their marriage and the the connection that they have mm-hmm. from the music as well. Yeah, it made Stones, I think, very, very special indeed. Mm. For me, it's probably his best album since uh, The Rising, which I... I have a real soft spot for Magic. Okay. Which, um, the production on it is a little bit it's sort of over, brash over, and tinny, yeah. a bit overproduced, but yeah. the songs on it are so, so good. But yeah, I yeah. mean, he, he's... He's put out some really great stuff in recent years, but um, this one does feel quite special. It's, it's great. It's like, um, at this point, people are listening to this going, these are just two people banging on about Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> yes, hello, that's exactly what <laughs> yes, it is. It is. Um, but it's it's incredible. I played the uh, the album to my wife the other day, and I was like, get, you know you know how well, guess how old he is. She was like, I see, he's just turned 70. And listen to this voice. It's like most people, most people who are in the business and have been singing for a long, long time. Their voices naturally get lower and uh, and chunkier as they get older. Elton John doesn't sound the same as he used to when he was when he was young. Van Morrison doesn't sound the same as he used to when he was young. Paul McCartney has a bit of a rasp now that he didn't have, can't hit the high notes anymore. But Bruce, there's something incredible about this voice, the way he's managed to maintain it. If you listen to Sundown, for example, the, the, the highs he hits in Sundown is just, it's majestic. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, he just hasn't. He hasn't aged. He's one of those people where you could, you could put a song from Western Stars up against a song from right back at the beginning of his career, and you could tell, yes, that there's more miles on the clock of the of the second voice, but you wouldn't guess how many miles on the clock. He he still sounds an awful lot like he used to. Yeah, he can still really do it. That's one of the things as well. When I was saying, if you get the chance to see him live when he when he comes next year, do it because more than any of those other sort of, <laughs> I, like I saw I saw Paul McCartney in December last year, and it it was amazing. It was great. He played loads of the hits. He brought Ringo out. It was unreal. But From he, his box, get out your yeah, box, Ringo. Come on, come on. Peace and love. Peace and love. Peace and love. Peace and love. No more fan mail. <laughs> um, brought him out, and it was a really great night. But but he undeniably can't quite do it like he used to. No, he can't. And Bruce, he he can. He can, he he can, can. absolutely do it. And he does these like three hour at least set lists just be, because he wants to, because he can. And that at, at 70 is crazy. It's amazing. All right, we're going to wrap this up. But uh, Springsteen in the movies, it's interesting because the, his music has been used in many, many movies. He's written, of course, as we discussed, Streets of Philadelphia for Philadelphia, The Wrestler. For the wrestler, that Harry Potter song, weirdly, that wasn't not in, for Harry Potter. How do you not use it? Like, Bruce Springsteen writes you a song, you use it, don't you? Yeah, although it's a nice song, but I can also see that um, the team at Warner's were probably like, this has nothing to do with Harry Potter. <laughs> it has nothing to do with, with magic or anything. He doesn't even say Hogwarts in it. Because, um, yeah, they used that song, I think, as, as he mentioned. On Got the, in my um, Ford Anglia and drove down to Hogwarts. <laughs> would have crossed Hogwarts. <laughs> the Wampin' Willow. <laughs> But what's your favourite Springsteen cinematic moment? Probably, probably the high fidelity stuff. It's just really sort of or his cameo. Yeah, yeah, it's just really fun and, and knowing. I, that's the thing. I, I do. I, I have more of a connection with him musically, musically than cinematically. But um, I do really like those those little kind of interjections he has in in high fidelity. It's just yeah, beautifully done. Yeah, that's interesting. I think I almost came at it the other way, mm-hmm. in that 
Oh, maybe I did. Maybe I didn't. Yeah, I think I must have done because I think the first proper Springsteen album I bought was Ghost of Tom Jode. Mm-hmm. And then The Rising, and then I was working backwards from there on mm-hmm. in. Um, but that's maybe why I still love those records. I think The Rising is a stone cold masterpiece. Oh, it's amazing. Um, but so I, I love things like the fuse being used at the end of that. Um, but a secret garden for me. I love Secret Garden and, and uh, I was actually surprised to find I thought it was one of the songs he had written for cinema I thought he had written mm. it for Jerry Maguire and it turns out he hadn't and in fact he doesn't play it that often in concert as, mm. it, as it turns out which is it's, it's such a beautiful song and uh, so Secret Garden from Jerry Maguire for me is is primo brusso if, uh, if I can use that phrase and I think I can and I will <laughs> and I have but uh, listen we could probably talk about Bruce Springsteen at Men's Fashions all day um, but uh, we got we got to wrap this one up but we hope you enjoyed it uh, as much as we did Ben mm-hmm. still hasn't had the uh, the grin off his face since he interviewed Bruce Springsteen a couple of weeks ago and uh, Western Stars is out right now in cinemas but there you go that is it for our Bruce Springsteen interview special uh, keep him peeling for more Empire Podcast specials coming your way as well. And of course, the regular podcast is out every single Friday, so do listen to that as well. In the meantime, it's goodbye from Ben Travis. One, two, three, four. <laughs> goodbye. <laughs> and it's goodbye from me. You know, everything dies, baby. That's a fact. Baby, everything that dies, someday comes back. Put your makeup on, get your hair real pretty, and meet me tonight in the Empire Podcast booth. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Bye.